This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We've been to university before, but not for this specific purpose. So we went, and they have a special Sunday school class just for Knox and those with any type of special needs whatsoever. So we filled out all this information, and so they had everything ready for him. They knew some of the things that he likes, the things that he doesn't like, um, and all of that, and they were ready for him. And they even sent us kind of like a little list of here's what we know, what you've sent us, and here's how we're going to um, pass this along to the Sunday school teachers, and um, so we'll go from there. But like I said, nothing, no small detail, no seemingly small detail can be just forgotten or overlooked because sometimes it all comes into play for something so much larger. Now with that, my son Knox is kind of a, a, he's his own guy, right? He will do whatever he feels like doing and he doesn't really care too much about other people. Um, now that's not a bad thing per se, and it's not necessarily a good thing, but that's just kind of part of his, um, his approach to life as being on the spectrum of autism. So the other thing is he went to this church. He's never been to this church before. It's a big church and he ran into somebody that he knew from school. And this little boy's name was Liam. So he was super excited to see somebody that he knew. And when he gets excited, he starts telling them different things like, um, okay, so this is my mom, and then this is my brother, and um, here's a piece of gum, and here's, you know, he's just like anything he can show you. He's excited. He wants to show you. Um, so that was awesome, and it was great for him to see somebody that he knew. It really calmed his um, kind of nervousness of a new thing. But also my son Jackson found that there was a schoolmate of his that is going there, that attends there on a regular basis, and so he was able to be with him as well. So again, it seems like um, a significant thing in their lives, but on the outside, maybe it just seems like a coincidence. Fast forward to yesterday, Liam comes to our door with his dad and is ringing the doorbell because he wasn't able to go to the um, Chuck E. Cheese party on Monday, but he came to our door and delivered a gift to Knox. And Knox was, again, super excited. And he was like, oh, my goodness, this is so exciting. And he said, here's my mom. Here's my dad. Here's this and that. Here's, um, I don't know, this and that, just anything. He has a piece of paper. He's like, look, this is awesome. Uh, so he's so excited about stuff. And what it turns out is that Liam lives probably about like four houses down from us. And we didn't even know this whole time. And this is one of Knox's good buddies. And again, for him to be able to connect to somebody like that, which I've seen so much improvement with him, but for him to be able to connect with somebody like that, it's great. And I am so happy. We exchange information, of course, and they're like, oh yeah, we go to the park all the time. So we'll call you next time. I'm like, great. This is awesome. Now, Again, it seemed to be like something coincidental, but yet I think it's part of something much bigger. Now, with all of that, I know that um, it is summer, and I know that we 
have a lot of things to do in the summer. One of the things that Jackson has to do is he has to read two chapter books and he has to do two um, projects. And he gets to choose what type of project it is, but he has this kind of like grid thing of you can do this, you can do that, whatever. Um, so you can do a commercial or you can do like a, a brochure for a travel agency, blah, 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 all this sort of thing. So he can do any of those things, but he has to do it. So I taught him last year and have continued to teach him Cornell notes. And if you're not familiar with Cornell notes, I, I wish I had a, a picture of it, but on the left side is the questions that you might have, like kind of leading questions as you read. And then in the middle part is the body of it is your answers to that. As you're reading, you're writing some notes down. And at the very bottom is the summary of all of your notes, like two to, to four questions two to four sentences of everything that you just learned. And so that helps you with a kind of direction as to what you just read and how you can use this for the future. Now, he's going to be referring back to these things as he continues with his putting together of all of the projects. So keep that in mind. But again, nothing is coincidental. Because I always have the question, and, I, and maybe you do too, of, why do, things, why do things happen the way that they do? Why do things happen the way that they do? And the reason we ask that question is because we don't know the answer. None of what happens to us, most of what happens to us, we think we know why. But then there's those other times where we have no idea. It makes no sense to us. And there doesn't seem to be a purpose in any of it. And are things really that much of a coincidence or is it like i said maybe part of something much bigger than that event than our lives than anything we can even imagine so i asked that question as we enter into our new sermon series entitled fulfilling god's purposes and the thing it says is yes you so who is this about it's about you so we talk about this first part, this first series, this part of the series, we talk about Rahab. Now, if you're not familiar with who Rahab was, this is kind of a reintroduction maybe, or maybe an introduction for the first time. But we look at Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24, to get the story of Rahab and why her part in all of this was super important, was crucial to God's plan for the Israelites. But a little background before we get there. Before we get to this unlikely hero, let us first revisit how we got to this point. So if you recall, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the hands of Pharaoh, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness for like 40 years, and up to the promised land. To the promised land but not actually into the promised land. See, Moses died at the age of 120 and was buried in Moab before he can actually cross over to the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan. Now, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy ends in this particular way. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord commanded Moses. 
Now the book of Joshua, so it goes Deuteronomy right into Joshua. The, the book of Joshua begins in this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, in the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. So there is a kind of connection between Moses and Joshua. Moses got all of the people to the promised land. Joshua is going to bring the Israelites into the promised land. And so I say all of that because Joshua has some pretty big fields to shoe up. Nope. Pretty good shoes, big shoes to fill. See, there you go. Um, now, with that said, arguably, probably one of the best and most famous of all the prophets of the Bible, Moses. He led the Hebrew nation, as I said, and his first act, Joshua's first act, is to lead and to gather all the troops and all the people and to cross over into Canaan. Just to make sure he knows what he's getting into, he devises a plan. And that's where we come across Joshua chapter 2. And it begins in this way. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Hatim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman told the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. When it was time to close the, dark, the gates of, at dark, the men went out. And, the men, when I, and where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had told um, that she had laid on the roof. So the man pursued them on the way to Jordan as far as the for fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates, the gate was shut. Okay, so here is the first part of the story of where we encounter Rahab. So, using that type of method of the Cornell notes, Here's a couple of things that we can think about. So first of all, we see that this story provides the first contact of Israelites and the promised land that God had talked about. And it also introduces a tension between the story, I mean, between the, the Israelites and Jericho that we know they're going to eventually take over. But the forefront, at the very forefront, is Rahab, 
here referred to as, as the prostitute or even a harlot, and the two spies, the two Israelite spies. And in the background, we see that the king's secret police are trying to smoke out the potentially threat to the, from the outsiders. Now, the tension in this story can be found in a, the relationship between the spies and Rahab, and it can be characterized in this particular way. There's a mutual suspicion between the two, because you have to figure that these were Israelites. They were people of God, and they followed God's law. Then you have Rahab, who was um, a prostitute, okay? So something that was, her profession was not something that was very... Um, uh, well looked upon by anybody, including her own people. But the other thing we have to figure is that not only were, was that intention, but the whole thing about those that were in Jericho and those that were the Israelites, there was a tension between them too because they were enemies. So all of this is intention. And add to that that the king's men were after these Israelite spies. So here's the why question, because in that left column, if I'm doing the, the Cornell notes, I'm going to ask who, what, where, who, what, when, where, why, and maybe some other leading questions. So here's the why question. My why question is this. Why would Rahab risk her life to harbor the enemy? This was definitely an act of treason and something that would be punishable by death. So why would she do that? Maybe... Maybe she is more afraid of the Israelites' God than the king and his men. Maybe. Or maybe she had more faith in the Israelites' God than anyone or anything else. The other thing to consider is that this was not only or not simply for self-preservation. Because as it were, she was concerned not only about herself but her entire family, which we'll see here in a little bit. So here's another question. Here's another why question. Why would God use Rahab specifically to fulfill God's purpose? There was a lot of other people that could have been used to fulfill God's purpose. So why Rahab? Rahab, like I said, was not looked upon favorably uh, for her profession, not even by her own people, and definitely not by the Israelites. And God, again, could have chosen anyone for this very important task. Rahab did not have much to offer at all, and yet God chose her. Regardless of the answers to these questions, the fact is that God, well, put it this way, Rahab chose to put her faith in an unknown to her God, which is a big risk. And then we continue on. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the dread of you has fallen on us and that the, all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. And we have heard. We have heard how the Lord dried up the, the water of the Red Sea before you and you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan. 
whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. That's a pretty bold statement from somebody who doesn't follow this God. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with me and my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she is let down, uh, sorry, then she let them down by uh, a rope in the window for her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she resided within the wall itself. She said to them, go toward the hill country so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourself, three, hide yourself there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your own way. The men said to her, We will be released from this oath that you have made a swear to you. If we invade the land and you do not, uh, and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down, and you do not gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and your family. So this is something that, that they are looking at, and they're saying, okay, we're going to make this pact together. She knows who they are. She knows who their God is, and she's like, okay, I know that this land is really meant for you. I know who your God is and what your God helped you do and overcome. So because of that, please remember me. Please remember me and my family whenever you come to conquer this land. Think about what I did for you so that you can do something kind for me. So with all of that, one of my first questions here is, what is the significance of the seemingly insignificant detail, but what is the significance of the crimson cord, that rope that was let down on the outside of the wall? So Rahab allowed the Hebrew spies to escape from Jericho by letting them down through her window by means of this crimson rope. And as they departed, the spies told her, tie this crimson cord if um, of, grab this, uh, tie this crimson cord from the window with the promise that she and her household would be kept safe with the coming invasion. So by faith, Rahab obeyed. And in verse 21, we see, Then she tied the crimson cord in the window. So she did as they asked. Later, the walls of Jericho, we will see this much later, that the walls of Jericho fell and the Israelites took the city. Joshua commanded that Rahab and her family be spared. Marking her home was, of course, the crimson cord. And it's easy to dismiss this or overlook the color of Rahab's cord as merely coincidence again, 
But the crimson cord had a lot of significance. The rope in her window was a sign of her faith, and it led to her ultimate salvation. And she was not destroyed with the rest of Jericho. The crimson cord, the color of blood, worked for Rahab much as the blood of the Passover lamb had worked for the Hebrew slaves in Exodus. Every home was marked with the blood and was spared that night with the spirit that came over to, again, kill the firstborn. God's mercy and forgiveness of Rahab was significant and was signified by that crimson cord, which can also be seen as a symbol of the redeeming blood of Christ, which we'll see much later. So it continues on. This is the last part of this particular story with Rahab in it. They departed and went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the the pursuers returned. The pursuers had searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men came down again from the hill valley, the, the hill country, They crossed over and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before us. None of this, none of this would be possible if Rahab didn't act quickly and decisively. Her split decision decision aided the Israelite spies and helped God's plan come to fruition. So we think about all of this. She didn't have to do that. Something was pressed upon her that she responded to. She was doing this for enemies. She was doing this for a God that she didn't know, but that she knew of. And she was risking her life for it. That is a huge risk. And so my question to you is this. Who knows how long that Rahab had been referred to as Rahab the harlot or maybe some other choice words. For so long, this had been her identity. Her mistakes, her sins, her choices made her who she was. She was serving a different God or God's And that was basically her lot in life. This is the way it was always going to be. And then, and then she had the opportunity to follow and serve a God who saves, the God of second chances, the God who is love. But the crazy thing is that she chose to believe in God before God could do anything for her. She knew what God, what the God of Israel's had done for them. There was no guarantee that this unknown to her God would do the same for her. In her experience, there was never a time after time that God showed up and showed off. That was not her story. It is so many of our stories, though. We see God showing up and showing off over and over in our lives, but we know that. But we know who God is. So, she took an incredible, an incredible leap of faith, a risk to follow and serve a God 
of the Israelites. In so doing, she is no longer thought of in the same light as before. Her entire life shifts. This is a pivot point. Everything shifts for her existence. By intervening, her life intersects with God's plan and God's people. Her name is now in the Hebrew and the Christian Bible. That's pretty amazing. She was a nobody. Even among her own people, she was a nobody. Now she's in the Hebrew and in the Christian Bible. We read about her now. Not only that, but according to the lineage of Jesus' family tree recounted in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, her name appears in verses 5 and 6. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and we know where it goes from there. Jesus is in the Davidic line by Rahab. This nobody, this seemingly insignificant person in a seemingly insignificant time chose to intervene, chose to say yes to God, and now we read about her in the Old and the New Testament, and because of her, because of her action of faith in a God that she didn't really know, but she just knew about because of that. We now read about her. She is in the Davidic line that leads to Jesus. And so again, we see this crimson cord running from the Old Testament into the New Testament. A seemingly insignificant detail associated with a seemingly insignificant person intersects with God and God's plan. And it can become something so much more than we could have ever imagined. Now it can be seen as a crucial and a pivotal turning point, not only for Rahab and her life, but for the Israelites and ultimately for the entire human race. So the question is, this is great for Rahab, that's great that God was able to use this seemingly insignificant person for a huge impact on the entire human race. That's great for her. That's great for us. But what does that have to do with you? Because after all, this is entitled, yes, you. So what does this mean for you? Well, let me say this. First of all, God calls you to be part of God's plan on a daily basis. Every single day that you wake up, God is calling you. God has something in mind for you. Yes, you. You don't have to be the right person. You don't have to be in the right place. And it doesn't actually have to be the right time. You just have to follow the right God. That changes everything. Secondly, you, your life, and all the details are absolutely significant in the eyes of our God. Yes, God can choose others. Could have done that with Rahab. Could have, choose, could have chosen anyone but chose Rahab. God can choose anybody but chooses you. 
And lastly, don't get so distracted. Let me say that a different way. Don't get so attached to who you are in the present and your identity that you don't give your future version of yourself a fighting chance. Don't get so attached to who you are now that you don't give your future version of yourself a fighting chance. That future version of yourself is the version that is walking in God's plan, in God's purpose, and in God's promises. That's the future version of yourself. But don't get so comfortable, don't get so... um, Resign to the fact that this is who you are, this is who you'll always be, because God has something more in mind. So don't get too comfortable, don't get too attached to who you are now, because God has something greater for you in mind. God's ways are greater than our ways. God knows better than we do. Our job is to respond to God's calling and God's prompting and God's purposes for our lives. So, so many of us go through things that don't seem to make any sense at all. And a lot of times we ask the question, why? Why did this have to happen? Or why me? And that's usually attached to something that bad that happens in our lives. But what about those things that we have no idea how these things happen together, all seemingly insignificant details that are put together to make something so beautiful that we could have never imagined. Also, in that way, we might be asking ourselves, maybe not as often, but why me? What did I do to deserve this? But the question is the same for both, and the answer is the same. Why not you? God could use anybody in the world, but God chooses to use you. Rahab did not have a history with God. And yet, with God, she now has a history. We talk about her now. Not just Rahab the harlot, but now Rahab, who was in the lineage that leads to Jesus The ultimate purpose for our lives is Jesus, through Jesus. That crimson rope, that crimson cord that was seemingly insignificant, just something she had on hand possibly, and she let it down on the other side of her wall so that they can get out. And that was the same sign that would show them that, hey, this is where I live. Save me from this. And because of that crimson rope, that crimson cord. It runs not only from the Old Testament into the New Testament, but it runs throughout all of human creation. Jesus is a tie that binds. That cord is a tie that binds. Seemingly insignificant people, seemingly insignificant events and details are now strung upon that one cord, that crimson cord, and leading to the salvation of humanity. We are not insignificant. Our lives are significant. Our details of our lives are significant. 
Coincidence, maybe, but maybe not. Your life, your responses, your decisions can make all the difference in your life and who knows in how many more. Lord, may it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.